All right, y'all open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 25 to 37. We've been going through uh, our sermon series on the parables, and the parables are one of Jesus' main ways of teaching his people. And it's not just for a good illustration or a good picture, but actually the Old Testament prophesied that when the Messiah would come, he would teach him parables because that's, that's what God himself does. But when Jesus is given these parables, he is giving us something very memorable. Many of you, if not all of you, have heard of this parable of the Good Samaritan. But my hope and prayer tonight is that as this is preached, that it might open up your eyes to see more and more beauties in Scripture. So let's read God's Word. And behold, a lawyer, he stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the half-dead man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer responding to Jesus said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're asking in your divine mercy and in your sovereignty and in your providence. For all those who are gathered here. And Father, we also ask that for all those who might even walk by within earshot. We know that always your words, they will never come back to you empty. They will always accomplish the purpose that you have for them. And so we ask that you would accomplish your purpose tonight. Would you please lead us to Jesus who alone loves us like no one else can? Would you show us our lack of love, but yet how in Him we might find all that we need? We know that you do this so often through the preaching of the Word. Would you do it yet again tonight? We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, here's the question. Do I need a mic or am I loud enough? Yeah. Mic? Okay. 
There we go. All right, how about that? There we go. So I was uh, got a text message earlier from one of our students who had shown me a picture of a pamphlet that was being passed out on campus, I guess, this past weekend. And the pamphlet said on the front, are you good enough to go to heaven? I don't know if any of y'all saw that this weekend. Are you good enough to go to heaven? Now, thankfully, what this pamphlet was trying to do is to show you that you're not, and not in such a way where it's like, well, you better be better, but in such a way to show you that you need someone who is good enough. You see, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, it is not good advice, it is good news. It is good news about what someone has done because we couldn't do it. How does that connect with this parable? It connects with this parable because this lawyer is trying to ask Jesus, how can I do enough? And Jesus is going to show him, you want to try, you want to try to be enough? Let me show you how. The whole point of this parable is to show this guy and to show all of us that we can never be enough on our own. But yet God's law is still true. He demands that we be perfect. He demands that we live up to his standards. But Jesus is not just going to leave us in despair. He's going to show us how we can actually be in the enoughness, as it were. This parable is meant to crush us, actually. Good news, right? Cheer up, you're worse than you think. This parable is meant to crush us, but at the same time, it is meant to lead us to Jesus. You see, what we're going to see tonight is this, simply that God's love, not our love, but it is God's love that gets us into heaven and it gets heaven into us. So go back to verse 25. What is the law of love? Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see, you need to ask, the question really is, what was a lawyer? A lawyer was obviously everything we think about a lawyer today, but but also had a little bit of different connotation. Someone who would be unpacking God's law, be making sure someone who, who uh, makes sure everyone's doing the right thing. Now, if we're going to understand what's really happening in this parable, here's what we need to understand. We are not the good Samaritan. Who are we? We are actually the lawyer. We're the ones who come to Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, what do I need to do to be enough? I love what Proverbs 16 verse 2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. You see, one of the things that we love to do as human beings, we love to figure out how we can be enough so that God will look upon us and say, You're good enough, come on in. But when we look at God's Word, and when He weighs us, when He judges us, we see a different story. We're the lawyer, we're trying to test Jesus here. And we ask this question, Jesus, what shall I do? See, this is what we mean by legalism. Legalism. What is legalism? Legalism, if I can say that word five more times, it is thinking this, what must I accomplish? What must I perform in order to receive eternal life? 
What actions need to be done in order for God to owe me salvation? It, legalism is the mindset of thinking that I can do enough, I should do enough, and I'm going to really buckle down and do better. And when I do better, then God will love me. Then God will give me salvation. That's what legalism is. You see, we have an obsession today with doing. We often take this very parable out of context and we don't proclaim good news, but we say, now everyone go and be the good Samaritan and then. But the problem is Jesus is telling us that we would never be this good. Ask yourself the question, am I enough? We're always asking ourselves that question. Now, what's interesting here is that when we're the lawyer, we say, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I think it's interesting. Jesus is not doing this. He's not saying, well, what is your truth? I have my truth, but what's your truth? That's not what he's saying. There is one truth. But Jesus is asking this lawyer, are you reading it rightly? How are you reading God's word? When you read it, does it make you cringe? Does it make you want to do the Thomas Jefferson Bible where you cut out portions of it so you don't really have to think about it? How do you read it? You see, one of the things is like this lawyer, we love to figure out if we are enough and we'll we'll excuse ourselves in any way to see if we can be enough. Here's one of the things we often forget today. You can do a lot of things and still lack a lot of love for someone. You can do a lot of things. You can make a lot of hashtags. You can say a lot of things. You can have all these different movements and you can still lack a lot of love. See, the problem actually with us and the lawyer, the problem is that we trust ourselves too much. Here's what happens when we trust ourselves too much. We end up in one of two uh, ditches, as it were. There's, There's the middle path, as it were, and there's the ditch on the right and there's the ditch on the left. And the, you know, I don't think it matters which one's right or left, but let's just say the one on the right is this, it's despair. You see, when you trust yourself too much and when you try to keep being enough, here's what happens. You realize you aren't and then you just fall into despair or even full-on depression because you think you should be better. And then all of a sudden, when you see how bad you are, you start feeling even more bad because you realize how bad you are and really you're just depressed because you wish and you should be better. You see, we often stay in these seasons because... We don't trust Christ's words. You see, maybe the left ditch, as it were, would be this. It'd be self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is like legalism, and it's thinking that we can be better. Here's what happens, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. When you think that you're enough, when you think you're doing good, if people don't spend the same amount of effort that you're spending or they're not living up to your standards, what do you do? You look down your nose at them. You look, you're looking at other people, and they might even be trying to do what you're doing, but you're saying, but they're not doing it as good as me. That's often what we do. We're like this lawyer. But here's what Jesus does. He, he, he plays the game with us. And he asks us, well, how do you read the law? And so here's 
the lawyer, he's answering back, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He also throws in there, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what's interesting. This guy has the right answer, doesn't he? That's actually the summary of what was, what was quoted earlier that I read in Deuteronomy 6. This guy has the right answers, but he's not living the right life. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you. Just because you know theology does not mean you're living theology. You might know about Jesus, but the knowledge of Jesus is meant to change your heart. That is often how a lot of us can walk around being self-professing Christians, but we don't live anything in light of that. And matter of fact, we just use Christianity for our own pedestal. But what's interesting here in God's law is that it says this, you shall love the Lord your God. Notice how it says we are to love the Lord our God with all your heart. Literally with with every bit of affection that you have in your heart, every thought that comes up, every thought you live out, the desires that are within, every single one of them. The standard is that you love God for what is worthy of God. With all your soul, it's not just in your heart, but your soul also, your strength, your mind. Jesus is just naming all these different categories to show us in the totality of your being. Love God. Good luck, by the way. That means this. Every thought you have, every tweet, every comment, every look on your phone late at night, every conversation you have with someone at work or in school or a night out, everything you do behind closed doors, everything you do in public, the desires that you live out on and the desires that you have, but even if you don't live out on them, they better all be perfect. That's what the law says. I love what Jesus says. Look at verse 28. Jesus said to him, yeah, you're right. You've answered correctly. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if Jesus says that, you're wanting to say like, what am I missing here? Jesus says, you are right. Now, here's the thing. If you want to live, if you want to inherit eternal life, go and do it. Notice that Jesus does not do this. He does not water down God's law. He does not say that God's God's law or God's ethics are not that big of a deal. As long as you just try hard, you know, God will meet you in the middle. Jesus is absolutely dead serious to not just to the lawyer, but to all of us here tonight and to everyone who lives all of life on this planet. Go and do this. That's the only way you'll be able to live. You see, here's something we need to remember about the gospel. The gospel does show us that we are saved by works. You did hear that right. You are saved by works, but not your works. But someone must save you by works. Someone must be good enough. Someone must obey God's law. You see, what Jesus is doing here 
is Jesus is trying to point this lawyer who's just so self-obsessed. He's trying to point this lawyer back to himself to say, you are looking at the embodiment of God's law. The very God who gave God's law back on Mount Sinai and in Exodus 19 and 20, and you see it again being expounded in Deuteronomy, the very same God, the Yahweh of the Old Testament, that's who Jesus is in the flesh. He is the embodiment of the law. Jesus is looking at all of humanity all at the same time, and he is saying, the covenant that you have with me says you better be good enough. But Jesus recognizes that None are righteous, no, not one. No one's good. Everyone is a sinner bound under God's law, underneath the curse of sin. The only way we can come out from underneath the curse is if someone frees us by being good enough. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the perfect law keeper. He's the one who kept the law. He's the one who loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. Amen? And because he did it, that's how we might be able to enter. But we must believe him. Now, here's how this lawyer responds. Look at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Boy, look, you're about to learn today. I don't know what this guy's thinking. Guys, don't try to play this game with Jesus. Um, some of you are living your life. I, I've had seasons of my life where I've tried to play this game with God. It never turns out well, by the way. To try to justify ourselves, to try to see if how we could kind of wiggle out of God's commands so that we could be right, it's never going to go well. You see, here's what happens when we try to obey God's law. It's like you have a severely sprained ankle. Um, I remember Riley LaPlante's, I don't know if y'all remember that from Intramurals last year, he had a horribly sprained ankle. And those are super painful. It's very hard to bounce back from those. When, when you have a severely sprained ankle, when you try to get up and walk on your ankle, ankle that's when you feel how painful it is. You see, when you're sitting down, you don't really realize the pain. When you're just reading the Bible, sometimes you don't always realize how impossible God's law is to fulfill for a sinful human being. And then you try to get up and do it. Let me give you a challenge this week. How about this for tomorrow? Just during lunch. Go from 11 to noon or whenever you eat lunch. Go from 11 to noon. Try to go one hour without having one simple thought. One hour. Without having one simple thought. One simple desire. One simple thought about someone who just made you mad or someone who left you out of their B-reel. Try to have one hour without a lustful thought as you see people walk on campus. Try to have one hour without a simple thought of being angry because someone's getting something that you don't have. You see, when you try to get up and obey God's law, it's like that sprained ankle. You realize you're more hurt and more helpless than you've ever realized. You see, this guy, this lawyer like us, he's trying to justify himself. And he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
I think that's a very important question for today. See, we don't really like to love people, even though we talk a lot about love today. But let me ask all of us a question because this is preaching to me too. Can you love those who disagree with you politically? Can you love those who you might despise racially? Can you love those who are sinning the sins that you don't sin or who have done the things against you that you despise? Can you love those who stand for everything that you stand against? Can you love them? Because when God is talking about your neighbor, he is talking about not just the easy people, but the most frustrating, awful people in the face of the planet. He is talking about those who are socially awkward. He's talking about the racists. He's talking about the prostitutes. He's talking about the prejudice. He is talking about the professors who are never fair because none of them ever are. What's interesting about our culture today is we love talking about love, but we are almost the furthest thing from it. But when Jesus says love people, matter of fact, in another place, he will say, hey, it's really easy to love your friends. I'm telling you, go love your enemies. That's the standard of the law. Isn't it true that today we're, we're much better at talking about people rather than moving towards people? Isn't that why so much gossip happens behind the scene and slandering happens behind the scene or, or merely just not promoting the, the well-being and encouragement of someone else? We love to figure out ways where we can cut people down with our words so that we can be lifted higher. And all we're doing is creating more division. Brothers and sisters, God is calling you to love people, not pick and choose people. He's calling you to love people where you are in every class you go to, every path you walk, every apartment you're in or neighborhood you're in, no matter who is there, no matter those crazy uncles or aunts that are always the most frustrating to love at Thanksgiving. By the way, it's coming up. Those people. Jesus now is leading him into this parable. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and they beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, it was a dangerous road going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and this was not a far-fetched idea and this man who goes down here what happens to him has happened to numerous people but there's a very interesting thing there at the very end of verse 30 what does it say they left him half dead now put your Old Testament hats on for a second what did Jewish people think about dead people or just deadness was it clean or unclean it was unclean Matter of fact, uh, some of the rabbis thought that if you merely pass through a dead person's shadow, you would become ceremonially unclean. So that's why they're passing by on the other side. You see, unclean people, they don't make us feel comfortable. We often love just to love people when it's comfortable. We don't like loving people whenever they make our friend group look bad or whenever they make our Christian ministry or our church look bad. We like to love people who have their life together where it's really easy just to walk life with them because they'll never disappoint us. They'll never sin against us. 
But Jesus is going to intentionally tell this parable to us to show us that anyone we come across, no matter how unclean they are, that's who we are to love. I cannot emphasize this enough. We are not as loving of a culture today as we think we are. We're promoting more division, more hatred, more suspicion, more animosity than ever. But yet we love to talk about love. How do you know if you're a loving person? When you move towards the person who stands for everything you stand against. Good luck. (laughs) But see, this is who Jesus is. Now he's going to keep going. I'll show you what, what he's trying to do here. Look verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite when he came to the place he saw him he passed by on the other side. Why does Jesus use a, a priest and a Levite in this parable? Here's why. Because a priest and a Levite they were the society's elite. They were the good people. They were the people that if they were going to be loving, if they were going to keep the law, it would be them above anyone else. Jesus is intentionally showing this lawyer and showing us that when we think we're loving, we're really not. You see, we often pass by on the other side. We leave our headphones in or we dip our hat down low or we get on the phone, but we're not really on the phone. You know, you know, the, the classic, like, let me see if my mom texted me and you're just looking at your phone background. We often want to do anything it takes so that we don't really have to love people because loving people means we have to lay down our kingdom to spread God's kingdom. But then verse 33, a Samaritan, Now, this would have shocked this lawyer. Samaritans, uh, they were not the fan favorites for Jewish people back then. Uh, They did not like this. Samaritans were considered unclean. They were considered the, 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 the rival ethnic group. If you wanted to see real racial division, then you would go back to the Old Testament. I mean, like some of the most intense that there has ever been on the face of the planet, Jews versus Samaritans. This Samaritan, I mean, it's just no telling the gasp and the, you know, the whispers of the crowd when Jesus would be telling this guy this parable, when he would even mention a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where the the half dead man or dead man was. And when he saw him, he felt what? Anger, bitterness, That guy's not worthy of my help, right? What does it say? End of verse 33. Compassion. Do you remember when we went through the parable of the prodigal son? Do you remember what the father felt when he saw saw his son? Just like, let's say all the way over at Boone Pickens Stadium, he's squinting his eyes and he sees his filthy son walking back. Do you remember what the father feels, his first reaction? Compassion. That's a big theme in the book of Luke. Jesus or someone in his parables, when they see someone, their first reaction is compassion. See, Jesus is telling this lawyer this because when the lawyer would have seen a Samaritan, his first reaction would not have been compassion, but hatred. 
bigotry, prejudice. When he sees this half dead man, he has compassion on him. Now look at verse 34. How do you know if you are compassionate? Is it, is it when you do this? Oh, well, I'll be thinking about you. Hey, I'll pray for you. Let me go, uh, you know, let me go over to Nuki, which I can get my gigantic bowl of teriyaki chicken. I had that earlier, so I apologize for the trivial illustration. But you know what I'm saying. How often we say, hey, I'll pray for you. Hey, I'm thinking about you. And we never do that. I remember one of my campus pastors when I was at Tulane down in New Orleans. He said this, that he finally felt very convicted about that after Hall. He's like, you know, I'm a pastor, by the way. And I felt convicted about this too, where he said, I stopped telling people that I would pray for them and I would just start praying for them right then and there. Here's what compassion does. He went to him. How do you know if you're growing in compassion? When you see the person who should bring out everything opposite of compassion, but you move towards them. Let me ask us, RUF and anyone else who is here, are you known as someone who moves towards people or are you known as someone who talks about people? Are you known as someone who moves towards someone or are you known as someone who will stay with a group of people behind the scenes and you'll figure out all you can do to fix that person? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a gospel of grace, not of works, it is a gospel for sinners, not people who need a little bit of help. It is a gospel of broken, shattered people, not people who just need a little bit of cleanup. That is for all of us. And if we are going to be a group who will experience the love of Christ through people, we must be a group that moves towards people, especially when we're most frustrating. Let me tell you something. I will sin against you. And I have. I will frustrate you. I will do dumb stuff because I am dumb. You can laugh at that. That's fine. But one of the things where we know we're not living consistently with the gospel is whenever we fail to move towards someone, especially when they're most sinful. Jesus says, how will people know that you are my disciples? They will know by your love. He moves towards them. Now look at verse 34. He bound up his wounds. Isn't that amazing? He binds up his wounds. He pours on oil and wine, which would have been very expensive. In other words, remember what just happened to this Jewish man who was walking down the road to Jericho? He was caught by robbers. Do you not see the lingering threat here in the background for this guy to take time to do this? He's putting himself at risk. He's making himself ceremonially unclean. He is sacrificing himself so that he can love this guy who's not offering him anything. He's giving up oil. He's giving up wine. He's going to give up even his seat on his own animal. He's going to give up his own money to help this guy. Not because anyone's saying you must give up your money, but out of the freeness of his heart. See, this guy gives... 
two denarii to the innkeeper. That would have been about three weeks worth of food. And he says, look, you spend this money, take care of this guy, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This is sacrificial living. Do you see what Jesus is doing to this lawyer? He's giving him, as it were, that pamphlet, and he's saying, hey, are you good enough to go to heaven? This parable is a very memorable way to basically tell the lawyer, you're not good enough to go to heaven. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. Hey, welcome to RUF. Are you good enough to go to heaven? Do you really love people? Not just do you love easy people. Do you love your neighbor? The honest answer to that question for all of us, especially including me, is no. We fail to love people. We say hateful things. We think hateful thoughts. We cause division. We fail to promote encouragement. We fail to promote unity. What Jesus is doing to the lawyer, he's doing to us. He's doing to every single one of us tonight. He's showing you, you are not good enough to go to heaven and the standard will never change. You will be saved by works. You will. But the question is, whose works? I mean, I'm sure someone will tweet that and be like, I heard the RUF say this, you'll be saved by works. Who would even tweet, right? I don't even know if people even use Twitter anymore. We're not good enough. I love what Jesus what Jesus says here. He breaks the fourth wall with this guy. And he's doing that with us too. And he says in verse 37, or excuse me, verse 36. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to this man who fell among the robbers? Can you imagine this, face, this guy's facial expression when he goes, the one who showed him mercy. But did you notice that? What did, what did he call this guy? The one who helped. Did he call him a Samaritan? No, no, no. Because a Samaritan for Jewish people is almost like saying Voldemort in Harry Potter. He who should not be named, who must not be named. Let's just call him the one. Jesus is laying this guy utterly flat to show him you're not good enough. And you know what? Welcome to the club, guys. We're not good enough. We're never going to be good enough this side of heaven. We're never going to love people well enough. We're never going to bring the future utopia that society is always trying to bring. There's been no system in the past that's worked. There's no system in the present that works. There's no future utopia. There is nothing that works outside the gospel to make people really love each other. And it's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of grace that brings Jews and Samaritans, Jews and all Gentiles together in unity because of sins being forgiven. Amen. Maybe you're here tonight or maybe you just, you've been coming for a while and you see people and you hopefully might be asking, how are they friends? That's often what the gospel does. How do you know that we're a group that's growing and knowing the gospel? When you see people who are maybe the complete opposite with totally different accents, 
different skin colors, male and female, young and old, they might have absolutely nothing in common, but there's one thing most in common, the Lord Jesus Christ. But my friends, how do you get that? See, Jesus is not just laying this guy flat. He's also doing something very important. Jesus is actually, remember Jesus, he is a Jewish man. Jesus is actually giving this lawyer a picture of who he is. See, if if we're the lawyer in this, and Jesus is telling us that we're also like the Levite and the priest who just go to the other side, who is Jesus? Do you know who he is, right? He's the Samaritan. That would have stunned people. Jesus is daring to call himself one of those unclean Samaritans. It'd be like this. It'd be like us telling a modern, or let's go back to the 1940s. It'd be like us telling this parable and talking about the good Nazi. And Jesus saying, by the way, that's who I'm going to be. The one who is most unclean, the, most who, the one who is most despised. I am willing to be that so that you might be saved. When Jesus Christ goes to that cross, he is the most despised human being that has ever walked the face of the planet. He is most despised by men and he is also, think about this, he is also most despised by God himself. Because on the cross, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, on the cross, Jesus, even though he, he never sinned, he knew no sin. But on the cross, he became sin. He became sin. He became the worst racist. He became the worst murderer. He became the biggest prejudice, the most sexually immoral, even though he never did those things. He became the worst of the worst so that he could take God's wrath rather than God's people taking God's wrath. Amen? Jesus became worse than Rahab, who was the prostitute in Joshua. Rahab, I mean, Jesus became worse than Abraham, who was an idolater. Jesus became worse than David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. He was worse than Paul, who was a murderer. He was worse than anyone else even think about Tamar and the story of of Jacob, Tamar and Judah who initiated incest. He became the worst of the worst, the most unclean. He became the Samaritan of Samaritans. Listen, he became the worst racist. As Jonah was a racist, Jesus has come to be even worse than that so that he can save the furthest off. When did Jesus decide to love us? Not when we were good, but when we were dead. On the cross, even though Jesus was perfect, the Father treated him as if he was the worst. He fulfilled the law, but yet he died as if he broke everything. That's who Jesus is saying who he is. But Jesus is also saying this. He's also saying, I am the half dead man. I am the one who's willing to die so that you might live. I am willing to die so that people totally unalike might have unity. I am willing to die for my enemies 
so that they might become friends. I'm willing to die so that as you see the wrath of God being absorbed upon me, you getting God's grace that that might fuel you to love other people. Jesus Christ came to save us by grace so that we might repent of our sins. So that by his power, we might love other people who we formerly hated. So that we might cease speaking badly about someone and positively encourage them. So that we might promote truth rather than just keeping everyone feeling good and never saying no to anyone. But yet doing so in a patient, loving way. My friends, Jesus Christ is far more radical than you've ever thought him to be. And it is only this gospel of grace that brings unity amidst diversity. All the other systems that the world's trying to do today, all the other ideas, all the other theories, they will never do what only the gospel of grace can do. It is God's mercy that changes people. If you're going to be changed, if you're going to love people, what do you need? Who do you need? You need him. Don't come to him with any of your works. Don't come to him with any promises of saying, well, I'll do better if you just give me some help. Don't do that. Come to him admitting your sin. Come to him confessing how broken and hateful you are, and he will make you a person of love. Come to him saying, I know I deserve wrath, but in you there is mercy. Believe that tonight you will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're asking that you would work this truth further into our heart. As the truth is worked into our heart by the Spirit, you might truly transform us so that we might not just say things, say theological truths, but we might live our theology. And so that as we live and as we love people, we could see your word fulfilled and that people would know us by our love, but we will not love until we know your love. Father, help us tonight and help us to respond in singing. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.